This is the future is yesterday. I am T here in Cisco. I'm a local. Well, I guess like, depending on what you're listening to, I'm local. But anyway, I'm an Afrofuturist sci-fi author. I uh, never got the hang of audiobooks, so I created this podcast to read my works. And in this episode, we are continuing reading from my first novel, Teleportality. This is chapter nine, partially operational. <clears throat> Under normal circumstances, Farrell would have leapt into action, but he was still rattled from the events of the past few hours. A ringing pain banged against the inside of his head. Oh, he'd been shell-shocked before, ravaged by too many conflicts against improbable odds. He was well accustomed to the sporadic thunders of mental and physical trauma that followed harrowing situations. But this was much worse. The electric lady and that crazy woman who said she wasn't a woman, they started running towards the explosion. And that was after the electric lady confirmed it was coming from enforcement officers. Now, as much as Farrell loved a good fight, especially if it meant destroying enforcement officers, he wasn't suicidal. Besides, it appeared that the electric lady and crazy woman could hold their own just fine. Billy and the electric lady were taking shot after shot from the enforcement officers who were firing with wild abandon. No matter how often their smart glass locked in on the targets, their prey would dodge with impossible agility or simply take the blast, pause to shake it off, and then continue advancing on them. The most unnerving aspect, even for a highly trained enforcement officer, was the fact that they weren't coming up in the association databases. So technically, from a legal standpoint, these two didn't officially exist. Hey, electric lady, if you're uh, me from a future time, tell me something, Billy yelled. Do I still like to do the hand-to-hand, or do I just use that fancy electric tattoo all the time? Call me Rosemary, the electric lady yelled in reply, absorbing a dozen direct hits to the chest. And to answer your question, Billy, I've got more than a few tricks thanks to these enhancements, but uh, I can't really use them under distress. Billy grunted, taking the full force of a butane rifle blast to the chest. Her epidermal layer would probably sustain some minor damage, but nothing to worry about. So what you're saying is... Hell yeah, I do, Rosemary laughed. She punctuated the last sentence by jumping mightily across the remaining 30 feet, crashing into the enforcement officer who was still uselessly firing at her. She gripped both of the officer's arms and locked them beneath her own. Pulling up with all the strength her augmented skeletal frame allowed, she broke both of the enforcement officer's arms to the elbow. The useless limbs dangled sickeningly. In a swift motion, Rosemary grabbed the enforcement officer's lower jaw and yanked, separating his face into two parts. Show off, Billy called with a smirk. Before Rosemary and the officer hit the ground, Billy dove into the air, keeping her arms and legs tight, spearing another officer's torso. He realized at once that this wasn't going to be like the usual hand-to-hand engagement. He dropped his rifle, and as he and Billy tumbled to the dirt, he pummeled her ridgegage. Now, ordinarily, because of the officer's armor... One blow was all it took to shatter the bone and rupture internal organs. But punching Billy was not ordinary. Hitting Billy, even with the enhanced protection his armor allowed, was like punching the aggressive side of a mountain. His mind raced as his training gave way to instinct. He threw fists and elbows with wild abandon, but Billy absorbed and returned everything he threw at her. Her right fist shattered the smart glass of his helmet. Her left fist decimated his nose. He jabbed a thumb into her eye, and she recoiled briefly. Ha! So she did have a weakness. He grabbed the sides of her head and pushed his thumbs against her eye sockets. Billy wasn't worried about being blinded. The reinforced plexiglass of her ocular implants would ensure that he wasn't able to do any serious damage, but fighting blind wasn't ideal. Locking her arms around the officer's back, she squeezed, crushing his spine and forcing many of the officer's organs to violently spurt out of his mouth and bowels. Two down, twelve to go. 
Sochi watched with horror in the air around her with a confused look on her face. Seconds ago, she was about to become a permanent shadow in the ruins of an abandoned suburb. Now two women, dressed in insane outfits, were tearing through a fully armed enforcement patrol and laughing while they did it. The enforcement patrol leader descended from her observational altitudes. They'd have more luck spread out across the landscape. Now, patrol leader called in for reinforcements, and there's another scout battalion three minutes away, but these lawbreakers were formidable. It was unlikely they'd be able to hold off against the onslaught of firepower that was mounted on POP control vehicles. Patrol leader quickly motioned for a trio of officers to take flanking positions in the air, and two other trios to cross-flank from the ground. Leading the last trio herself, patrol leader directly engaged the perpetrators. Hopefully, the surviving officers could keep them pinned down long enough for the PCB to arrive as a second wave. These perpetrators were resilient, and even though they'd taken numerous direct hits without dying, they seemed to require a second or two to absorb the impact and damage the blast. Listen up. While they deal with the nine officers still firing from the positions, as patrol leader addressed the patrol via the comm, an enforcement officer's head, still in the helmet but missing a body, crashed down in front of her. Rosemary smirked in the distance, wiping obscene amounts of gore from her clothing before running at the left flank of officers. Okay, while they deal with the eight officers still firing from the positions, move around the flank. Ready position mark 0.3. Patrol leader's sentence was cut off by a blast impact that tore a gaping five-inch hole through the center of her chest and sent her flying face first into the dirt. The other two officers wheeled around frantically with weapons at the ready, but Sochi was far too quick in the draw. Before they could aim, they found their torsos newly aerated as well. Three pulls of the trigger, three heart shots. I still got it, Sochi chuckled to herself. Billy and Rosemary exchanged a look. The bodies of the other enforcement officers were shredded quickly, and as the dust settled, she finally saw her comrades in arms. They looked ridiculous, like nothing Sochi had ever seen before. But just to be on the safe side, Sochi readied another shot and aimed her rifle. Rosemary and Billy stared back at this battle-worn person wearing the same face holding a smoking rifle that, they'd just, that had just wasted three enforcement officers with the same brutal efficiency as they themselves had wasted the others. I suppose we should introduce ourselves, joked Billy as her foot shattered the vertebrae of one enforcement officer while tearing out the throat of another. Let me guess, is that time? What? Rosemary arched an eyebrow, driving the serrated blades of her armored bracers through an officer's midsection, yanking out their inards before whipping around and slicing the throat of another. Yeah, get it? Because you're Rosemary, so that's time? It's a joke, Billy shrugged, flip-kicking an officer, sending him flying backwards into another. The two officers tumbled to the ground, the impact crushing the lungs of the enforcement officer who broke the other's fall. I don't get it. Rosemary leapt into the air and caught the ankles of an officer on the opposing flank. The officer kicked futilely at her face, but Rosemary reached up and jabbed her enhanced elbow against the officer's knee, inverting the joint. The officer howled in agony. Rosemary yanked the officer's rifle out of her hands and fired upwards. The shot tore through the wound, exploding out of the top of the officer's head. Never mind, Billy yelled, bracing herself against a typhoon of rifle blast. Sochi aimed her rifle and annihilated the officers who had Billy pinned down. Billy nodded a quick thank you and dove back into the fray. Right. Uh, anyway, that's Sochi Whitewood. Sochi was the base template for us, Rosemary yelled, picking up a dead officer's butane rifle and unleashing return fire, offering Billy cover. What do you mean, template for us? Billy asked. Well, originally, Sochi Whitewood was uh, apprehended and turned over to the Association Laboratories under the supervision of... Dr. and Harvey. Precisely. But we just put a stop to that? Yeah. But Dr. Harvey resurrected my cadaver from a storage unit, 
I was set to be on ice forever and he arranged to use me as the first subject of his new neurogenesis treatments. I, I remember that. Well, Rosemary began, you, well, we for that matter, only remember what Dr. Harvey wants us to remember. Those memory engrams that we were given compromise way more than you know. But think about it, Billy. Rosemary dropped the corpses of the final officers and walked over to Billy. Why would our cadaver be kept in storage? Before our neurogenesis treatments and enhancements, what possibly could have been so distinctive about our remains that made Dr. Harvey select us out of the tens of billions of lifers or residents or recyclers the association could have delivered? Billy knew the answer, but kept staring at Sochi. Sochi kept the rifle right where it was. She started inching closer, but the business end of the rifle was exactly where she needed to be. Deadlocked in the two. Wait, no, now three strangers? Who was this giant guy with weird hair? who'd come out of nowhere and laid waste to a bunch of enforcement officers. Uh, Dr. Harvey lied, Billy spat. Harvey's been lying for a long time. The tone of Rosemary's voice was an odd blend of cold dispassion and warm empathy. Locking eyes with Billy, they both felt the wholly unique connection of not only absolute introspection of self, but the quivering uneasiness that accompanies being faced with one's true self, completely free of pretense. So Sochi is like our mother? Billy asked, still trying to contemplate the full depth of the conversation. Did you just say my name? How do you know me? Who are you? Sochi yelled, gripping the rifle tighter. Actually, Rosemary chuckled, it's be more accurate to say that Sochi was like our fetus. Wait, tiny lady made you? Farrell asked, remarkably grasping the gist of this incredibly odd trio he found himself standing with. No, Dr. Harvey made us, Rosemary answered. Well, Okay, technically, Dr. Harvey used Sochi's corpse to make Billy, and when Billy stole the teleportality technology and integrated it into the primary operating systems, Billy became me. So, both of you are the electric lady, Farrell asked. The sliver of understanding he'd gained faded away almost instantly. Rosemary. My name's Rosemary. Rosemary laughed. Stop calling me electric lady. It's weird, and it's not really clever. And no... I'm not the prototype carrying tech. Uh, I'm just the prototype carrying teleportality technology. It's why Dr. Harvey wiped out the entire association and everyone residing within the associated territories. And it's why I came back. My plan was to spring Billy from the transport, locate Cassius and Cassandra Black, rally the recyclers to stop Dr. Harvey before he can commit the gravest atrocity in the history of existence. How can one man wipe out the entire association? Farrell asked, completely lost. Hey, what the actual hell is going on over here? Sochi approached closely, jabbing her rifle into Rosemary's chest. I know you're not association, and you definitely aren't recyclers. Quiet now, Rosemary whispered as a tattoo on her face glowed briefly. Sochi's eyes rolled back and she crumbled to the ground unconscious. Billy and Farrell stared in shock. Whoa, Farrell and Billy gasped in unison. Yeah, about that, Rosemary smirked. Remember those enhancement tricks I mentioned? My teleportality system is only partially operational. Burned out the singularity protocols, the matter intertransference is offline, and the causality displacement syntax is completely compromised. But the uh, waveform manipulations are in complete working order. Did you understand any of that? Farrell asked Billy. Not a word, Billy replied. Uh, in other words, Rosemary interjected, my teleportality is shot. I can't get us back or forward in time, but I can do simple functions if I concentrate. Like, if your brain is still mostly organic, then I can just... Wait, wait, what do you mean mostly organic? Wait a second, Farrell protested, but it was too late. 
The big recycler lost consciousness and slumped down next to Sochi. Suddenly, the ground began rumbling. The buildings on either side of the body-covered streets began exploding in a violently beautiful domino succession of chaos and destruction. Through the smoke and debris, Billy and Rosemary saw the massive pop-control vehicle advancing towards them. PCVs are not peacekeeping machines. They're an unrelenting nightmare of malevolence. They're the mechanical manifestation of impending death. It was a 240-foot diameter dome, the crest of which was 90 feet high, giving a cylindrical command center at the top a weird but unobstructed 360-degree view of its surroundings. The exterior was perfectly smooth, made up of thousands of hexagonal armor plates, reinforced at every seam with three-inch-thick Mossonite aloe exoskeleton beams. The metal monstrosity was supported by a 12-foot-tall Kevlar air skirt, allowing it to glide across land and water with near equal agility, though it was the geomagnetic repulsors that kept the huge vehicle from collapsing under its own weight, as well as allowing it to travel at horrifying speeds of upwards from 80 miles per hour. The central row of the hexagonal plating had slid up and over the row above it with a deafening hiss, revealing dozens of rail cannons, each one capable of firing 200 millimeter iconal bolts, which were leveling the already decrepit homes on either side of the streets. Oh no, we need to disappear now, Rosemary yelled. Well, you think? Billy quipped sarcastically. How are we supposed to move them quickly if you can't use teleportality anymore? Billy asked, annoyed. Look, we don't have to move through time. We just have to move, Rosemary yelled. As a tattoo glow with brightened instinct, it enveloped the area around them in white lightning. Billy gritted her teeth as her nerve sensors went haywire, burning painfully beneath her synthetic flesh. In a flash, all four of them were gone, just as the rail cannons on the PCV unleashed another barrage. So that was chapter 9. And, uh, of Telebrutality, and rather than jump ahead to chapter 10, I'm going to take a little bit of time to kind of just explain what's going on, because I use a lot of terms in there, uh, and the story, you know, being broken up into episodes, like for this podcast, can get a little confusing. So basically, we now understand, or we've now just learned that Sochi is Billy, Billy is Rosemary. They're the same person from three different times in their lifeline, and now they're all working together. Also, we've learned that Rosemary, her teleportality technology uh, enables her to travel or teleport back and forth through time and distance, um, and she's taken it. And we also understand that Rosemary's mission now, the reason why Rosemary came back and started, kicked off this book in the first place, why she uh, intervened with Billy's apprehension and all that stuff. Well, she needs to stop Dr. Harvey because he's about to commit the gravest atrocity in mankind by wiping out the entire association. Uh, and we also learned that Rosemary has a neat parlor trick where she can flex, so to speak, her teleportality. And if your brain is mostly organic, like poor Feral and Sochi's, uh, she can use her waveform disruptor to make you pass out. But when she does this, kind of like the, uh, the war machine of the association, the pop control vehicle shows up and starts wrecking shop destroying everything so that's kind of the gist of what happens that chapter and i love this because now we've got the, we've, we got the basis of this and so this is where we get into the main theme of the book i had this question a while back uh at the early part of the 2000s when again around 2002 2003 um, i've always loved science fiction um, just since i was a little kid like star trek doctor who those are my two first fandoms i'm still a huge trekkie a huge hoopian uh, and but one concept i love the idea of would be what would it be like 
to work with yourself in different periods of time because there's this notion that I notice, and I still notice it from time to time, but you know, we tend to demonize our past and lionize our future. Like if you talk to someone and you show them old photographs from high school or something, like, oh my God, I was such an idiot back then. Or even talking to somebody just about any incident, like, oh, I used to work this job for this this one boss and I was so stupid, or you know, I can't believe I was I was married to that person, or I wasted time in this city or doing this. So past you is always kind of kind of dumb and not good. And then conversely, future you is great. You talk to anybody about their aspirations, like, oh man, just wait. As soon as I get this degree, as soon as I land this promotion, as soon as I develop this technology, get this investor, et cetera, et cetera, move out of town, whatever it is, it's going to be great. Like future you, you lionize. There's always, you're on this pedestal, like, oh man, I'm here, I'm okay. But man, once I get there, it's going to be great. And where I was, oof, no good. So I like this idea of like, well, what if I took someone, in this case, Billy, and then forced Billy to work with past version, aka Sochi, who Billy, with the same demonization, is not enhanced or anything like that. But then also at the same time, working with this lionized version, aka Rosemary, who is extremely enhanced, but now all three of these variations of the same person have to work together. What would that look like? And that's kind of the thesis of this. And like, why, why do we lionize? Because at any moment in time, except perhaps the moment of conception, there is always a past and future version of ourselves. Well, okay, so moment of conception and then moment of demise. There are two instant, there are two exceptions, but otherwise, the entirety of your life, there's always a past version, a current version, and a future version. Um, and so we can't continue to lion. And like, why do? When do we stop lionizing future us? Is it when we become present us, or when we get past that point of where we thought future us would be, and then they become past us? Is that the moment where we go from lionization to demonization? And at what point is there acceptance? Because if present us or our present being or present entity is always looking back and looking forward, at what point do we look at where we are and what do we think of ourselves in that moment? Um, and, and that's kind of the underlying thesis of teleportality, which I think dovetails nicely with Dr. Harvey, because Dr. Harvey has kind of an extreme version of that in that, you know, past Harvey was happy with, with his wife, Wilhelmina. And then Wilhelmina is no longer with him. That's current Harvey. And so he has this idea of a future future state where he can bring her back through this this cadaver that he's used, his neurogenesis technology to bring her back. That becomes Billy. He can take Sochi, turn her into Billy, and eventually Rosemary. It'd be great. So while Billy, Sochi, and Rosemary are dealing with that concept themselves, Harvey is kind of dealing with it vicariously through them and created the scenario inadvertently. Um, and that's that's where the fun of it is. Um, and yes, people have asked before. I've, I've done readings and been to conventions and other stuff like that, or just in casual conversations with other writers or people who are interested in my work. I say, would you ever consider optioning? Absolutely. Uh, for Telefortality, I think it would be great as a series. Um, so if you're listening and you know someone who's looking for original content, uh, I would love to option uh, my work. Yes, this is a blatant promotional request. So yeah, if you're interested in optioning my work, um, like a three season, 10 episode per season Netflix series would be fantastic for Teleportality. Actually, even a one season, I'm not going to be greedy. I could tell the whole story of Teleportality well in one season 
And this is where it gets fun again. I think I mentioned last episode that because this is a podcast, not an audiobook, I can go way off track and stuff like that. But if Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu or HBO Max was like, man, we need some content that hits a lot of buttons, like strong female leads, uh, non-white creators, you give me 13 episodes in one season to tell this story is like kind of like a miniseries. This would be fantastic. Be well done. Other thing too is because of my background in broadcasting, not only would you be getting the source material through the option, you'd also be getting a producer slash writer slash director. I'd even love to do a cameo. Um, but that's it. I'm not looking to be famous and I just want to share this story out because I think it's interesting and it's fun and I think more people hearing it would be kind of a cool thing and not just because i wrote it i just like the idea of sharing sci-fi with the world but that's enough of my weird awkward sales pitch i want to thank you all for listening uh to this podcast the next episode will be continuing on reading from teleportality thanks again